Hey, it's Arrow, and this is PodFest, bringing together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or cooks in their own kitchen. It's real people with real stories. PodFest 42 features three completely different book authors. Up first is rocker Dave Mustaine from Megadeth, the mastermind of the book Rust in Peace. Then we're going to change it up with author Melanie Warner, who gave us the book The Magic Feather Effect. Michael Clinton is author number three, a powerful motivational author. His book, Roar. This is PodFest 42. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Dave Mustaine, who's got a brand new book out. It's called Rust in Peace, the 30th anniversary of Megadeth's thrash metal masterpiece, Rust in Peace. Lead vocalist and guitarist of Megadeth, Dave Mustaine reveals the behind-the-scenes making of such an iconic album. I mean, they're talking about this being the greatest metal album of all time. The dude and his band have always been connected to what real music is all about, like LAProductions.us, a professional mobile DJ service here in the Southeast that helps you create and generate the greatest memories without having to deal with the stress of keeping everyone entertained. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Corporate events, weddings, birthday parties, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs, bot mitzvahs, laproductions.us work side by side with you as planners and performers, connecting everyone to a new age of fun and dance, laproductions.us. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Dave Mustaine. Congratulations on Rust in Peace. Does this mean that we're going to see, let's say, like a soundtrack to the book come? Because the way that you write, it's almost like he's got to have music that is just going to be flowing from him because because of the words in this book. Uh, we are writing a new record, but we're not writing a record on Rust and Peace. We did do an audio version of the book, if that's what you mean. If not, you completely lost me. Only because, you know, with, as, as a writer and stuff like that, are you using the same creative juices, uh, you know, to bring out the book as well as the music? Because the way that you write in this, it's, it's, like, it's like you could turn this into a movie because it's like we're sitting right there with you. Well, I think that there's a difference between reality and fantasy with the music and, and the uh, book. <laughs> and, and even in so much as the book being uh, full of fantasy, there's a lot of stuff where you can see somebody said something and then later changes his tune in the book. And I, I said I did one thing and, and they agree, and then later in the book they say no, and and I question that. I think there's... There's a lot of uh, stuff like that in there. When the world stopped in March, we all had a new place to go. It's almost like each and every person now is getting a completely different view of the world because we have the time to watch the world now. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing's for sure. Um, what I, I was just thinking about this. The way ISIS and, and uh, those guys over these destroyed all of those historical monuments, I, I hate to think what would happen to somebody if they tried to messed up Mount Rushmore. Releasing a book now, and with you saying that you did the audio and stuff like that, that really puts you right back into our lives in the way that the way that I used to study the inside sleeve of a CD as well as an album. You're giving us your story. It's almost like a backstage pass. Thank you. That's a great way to look at it. To be able to relinquish it like that. it's it's Because you know, usually the majority of us, the only time we ever got news was if it, we found it in Rolling Stone magazine or if we found it in another rock magazine and we had to go by what that reporter was doing. This time around, you got to be the reporter, Dave. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, um, I uh, made all those other reporters look very bad. <laughs> because, um, I blew the cardinal rule. It's uh, 
for for journalists now, most of them um, is uh, write the story to suit yourself. One of the things that you talk about in the band that a lot of fans are going to be attached to is the fact that when, when the band agreed to break up, I mean, to agree to do it is, is one thing, but then to physically go through the motions and stuff like that. I mean, I love how you didn't hide that from us, you, that you, you were very truthful and transparent. That we agreed to break up. Are you thinking about Motley Crue? The, just the, with the, those moments where every the original the original things didn't happen together. You know, in other words, it's like when you have the original lineup and then things begin to to break apart. Because I've been in a band before, but it's almost like you lose a spiritual brother when somebody decides they're going to go in a different direction. And so that's what I was looking at when I was reading the story. It's like he has the same kind of connection. Yes, you're so right. Um, there, there is a spiritual connection that's lost because you know I've always said this, and most people get perverse as soon as I say this, but. Um, being in a band with somebody is the closest you can actually get, male or female, the closest you can get to somebody without actually having sex. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're in a band and um, you have any amount of respect for yourself or the other person you're playing with, at some point you're going to have a disagreement. Now, the way that uh, you get through that is how you agree to disagree and if you're going to be able to you know, work through it. A lot of, a lot of great bands have ended because guys just couldn't get their shirts right. Well, I'm just glad that, you, that you're continuing to create, and we've got the book now, Rust in Peace, the, and then I can't wait for the band to go back out on the road again, hopefully as soon, sooner than later, sir. Stop, we'll be over there with you, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. Please come back to the show anytime in the future, Dave. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you. And- you be brilliant today, sir. <laughs> We're unplugged and totally uncut with Melanie Warner. Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Fantastic, because we get to speak my street here. I, I, I totally believe in, in the medicinal drugs and things like this and spirituality as well as feathers in, in, in ways of helping people. How did you get involved? Okay. I was I was interested in this because I, I found the debate about it so polarizing. On one hand, you had the true believers, and then you had the skeptics who said, no, it doesn't work. People are just throwing their money away. And so I really wanted to look into the science and understand what the truth was and how these things might actually work in some condition. Well, I've, I've sat with many medicine men, and we all kind of chuckle when we say that pretty much we over here on the western side of the world, we like to practice medicine. We don't really get it. We just practice it. Yeah, and sometimes people talk about how modern medicine tends to do a little bit too much treating of the disease and not the person, the person that has the disease. It, do our brains have it wrong? Is it, are, are we convinced that we feel pain, that we're not feeling good? Or is it sometimes we're just trying to get attention? I think for the most part, people really feel pain. Yeah, when, when, they, when people go into a doctor's office, the majority of people are actually feeling pain, even though you can't you have to rely on the patient's report. There's no um, test you can do or biomarkers for, for testing for chronic pain. But most people are, are feeling it. But it's still something that it's a, a fascinating phenomenon in the sense that it's just as much about people's brains as it is about their bodies when they feel pain. The book we're talking about is The Magic Feather Effect. I'm really into yoga nidra, big time. That little thing that a lot of people do at the end of their yoga, well, I, I do it for hours. And, and there's, there's just not enough people diving into nidra. Yeah, I didn't. I looked at yoga more generally in the book, and there have been some really interesting studies on yoga and how it can help people with insomnia and sleeplessness, um, in addition to chronic pain conditions like like back pain. There's been some some really good studies done in in the last five or six years on yoga. 
This is a book that, of, of openness. It's about healing. But the thing is, though, is how can we get people to, sure, you, you can buy it, you can read it, but the next step is we've got to activate what you're saying inside these pages. Yeah, sure. And, and it's a little bit of a, of a journey of people taking control of, of their health and um, trying to change their mindset around uh, the beliefs that they have um, you know, all these negative beliefs that we have, I'm an injured person, I, I'm a person with back pain, I'm a person with bad knees, or, and, and all these, these messages that, that we give ourselves about our body, some of which we're conscious of and some of them we're maybe not entirely conscious of. And it's a, it's a, it can be a very powerful process to try and change that, that thinking and those beliefs. And those can create real shifts in, in how we feel in, in our symptoms. Don't, don't you think that breaking away from Google and all these different medical doctors on, on the Internet is, is a good step in the right direction? Because we're, we're all dying of cancer, according to these things. Exactly. Sometimes it can be really useful because people can try and figure out um, what might be going on where they wouldn't. And it, it does allow people to take control of their health. But you can. But you're absolutely right that you can you can take it too far, and you can start worrying about about things that you that you really don't have, and and you don't want to. You know, you definitely don't want to go down that road because that can that worry can can make you. Um, can actually make you sick. That's and, called the nocebo effect. It's the flip side of the placebo. And and your book goes into to several different examples of how things that are unexplained tend to help heal people. But the question is, though, did anybody write it down so that we can go back and see if it works twice? Yeah. Well, there. You know, scientists do do studies where they try and identify. Um, what are the effects of these? Uh, in, and in the book, I, I looked a lot at acupuncture, mm-hmm. chiropractic, qi, qi, uh, qigong and tai chi, and then also yoga and, and meditation. And they, they do studies where they, they try and look and say, what, what are really the effects of this? And, and a lot of it's been for chronic pain conditions like back pain, knee osteoarthritis, um, sometimes headaches and, and, and migraines um, and other types of chronic pain. And there does seem to be some, some effectiveness, especially relative to the the usual treatments that people are getting from the doctor so drugs um, doctor's visits and maybe sometimes physical therapy you can see effects over and above that so you know you don't necessarily know for you as an individual person what you're going to respond to what's going to work best for you I think a lot of that has to do with people's individual preferences um, and what they're going to respond to. How important is plant life to us staying he- uh, healthy? And, and I don't mean just eating it, but I mean building a relationship with that plant. Like I love sitting next to trees. I love going outside and being in the forest because I believe that those 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 living things are communicating with me all the time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't look at that in the book, but I know that I have a friend, um, a writer friend who, who wrote a book called The Nature Fix, came out a couple of years ago, about that very subject and about the healing, the healing power of nature and being in the natural world. Now, now, for someone's going to read the book and they're going to want to take it to the next level. Do, are you doing a podcast anywhere? Are, do you have a website where people can go and they can make that physical connection with you? Yeah, absolutely. My, my website is melanierwarner.com. And I'll be posting things, um, blogs and di- things about different different appearances and talks that I'll be giving um, as the, after the book comes out. Because there, there, there's so much information, and, and I just want listeners to understand that this is an, an authentic book, that you really are talking about a subject that really opens up our mind, body, and soul. Yeah, and I really wanted to, to talk to scientists and look at what the research says and what, what do we know about 
about alternative medicine and what can it really do? And I, and I really wanted to understand the limits of it, too, because I think that's, a, that's important as well. Um, I didn't come away thinking, oh, this can, you can heal anything with the power of the mind. I think that there are really limits to it, and I think it's, it's very important and useful for people to understand that going in um, and to, to have a realistic sense of, of, of what you can do. Um, using the power of your mind. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the science has created so many incredible things. I mean, especially when it comes to heart disease, they've created these statins. The only thing that uh, science hasn't created yet is how to deal with the pain that comes with those statins. And that's what, that's what led me to a deeper you know, journey through the spiritual, spiritual world. Sure. Yeah, and, interesting, and also for, for cancer, too. I mean, a lot of cancer centers, the major cancer centers around the country actually now have um, acupuncture. They might have them on staff or they offer it as an adjunct to their, to their services. And they're not, they're not sending the people to acupuncture thinking they're going to shrink their, their tumors. It's about treating the, um, the byproducts of, of right. cancer or the cancer treatments and dealing with people's pain and fatigue in general. How, how, how did you get the world of science to open up? Because so many times when you sit down with those that are creating, you know, ways of healing and stuff like that, you know, they, they kind of clam up a little bit. How did you get them to talk? Oh, I, th- I don't know. I, I found them very, um, very interested to, to talk. I mean, they, they wanted, they, they're huge believers in what, what they do. Um, they're very passionate about it. And um, a lot of them have been doing it for, for many years and they want to spread the word and they want to help people. And they, and, and, and most of them are, and the world is, is, is full of, um, you know, different, different types of people. But I believe that most, most of the people that I talk to um, genuinely want to help people. And a lot of them do have uh, what you could call a talent as a, as a healer, right. as someone who intuitively understands how, how to work with people um, who are sick. And, and, it, and they, they can understand some of those subconscious cues, conversations, um, ways people need to be paid attention to yep. um, to help people shift um, their their condition. And isn't isn't it fa- uh, pretty pretty cool that these these scientists spend years and years and years fine tuning their craft? But we all want a quick fix. We all want to be fixed now. Totally forgetting what what went into that that product. Exactly. There's r- rarely is there any quick fix. Uh, all these things do take time. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Authors, musicians, actors, conversations that you can share forward. Arrow.net, A-R-R-O-E.net. We are Unplugged and Totally Uncut with Michael Clinton. Arrow, how are you today? Absolutely fantastic. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm fantastic, too. Where are you coming in from? I'm uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where we've got some snow in the mountains today, but down here in in, in Charlotte, I mean, it is a bright, beautiful uh, Carolina fall day with all the leaves and everything. What about you? Beautiful, beautiful. I'm in New York City, but I know Charlotte well. It's a great city. I've been there many times. With, with, with what you are and how you do the things that you do, did you ever find any energy down here? Because, I mean, when, when you talk about reimagining yourself during these times of change and stuff, Charlotte's got a vibe about it that inspires people to become greater with their inner being. You know, one of the things that um, I think was happening during the pandemic is that, you know, everybody sort of stepped back and started to reassess you know, what kind of life am I, am I living? Do I, do I want to be doing this job? Do I want to be doing this uh, lifestyle? Do I want to be with this person? And I think we went through this whole introspection, the collective we and the individual, the individual. And I think a lot of people are saying, how do I pivot into where I want to go next in my life? 
and this book, Roar, was was written to help those people do that. Well, it, it acts as a, as a tool for me, and the reason why is because probably about a month or so ago, um, this reimagining thing, it really did work because I'm going, I don't have a job. I have a choice. It is my choice. Therefore, I'm going to own my decision. Mm, right, right, right. No, I think that this is a big part of uh, the ROAR acronym, which are, you know, stands for reimagining your future. What's your favorite future? The O, to your point, is own it. Own your, own your, where you are in your life, you know, own your health, own your financial well-being, own your age. You know, own 60 is the new 60. But A is the action plan. And as you say, we all have a choice. We all can decide to go pivot in one way or the other. And how do we do it? And so the book was interviews with 40 amazing people who've done it, and then lots of tips in terms of how you can do it from a practical standpoint. And the final R is the reassessing of your relationships, because it's the people around you that help you facilitate it. So yeah, make your decision and then build out your plan. I, I love the way that you put you put a lot of focus on um, making the most out of our midlife. And the reason why is because the midlife to me at 59, man, I was like a teenager. In fact, even today, I still feel like I'm a wild teenager. You know, you bring up a great point because if you're 60 or if you're 59, you're 60 and you're healthy, you have a really good shot of living to be 90. So what are you going to do for the next 30 years? You know, you got to do something that's it's not our father's retirement per se, we're not going to necessarily, as a generation, be happy to, to sit and, you know, visit with the grandkids and play the proverbial golf game. You know, we want to we want to be more engaged. So what is it we want to do? Do we want to start a business? Do we want to get involved in nonprofits? Do we want to go travel? Do we want to train for a marathon? You know, one of the things that I read about in the book is I watched, uh, I ran the Toronto Marathon, and I watched the first 100-year-old man cross the finish line of the <laughs> Toronto Marathon. And I was like, wow, you know, I want to be him. Um, anything is possible. We put on these self, self-imposed restrictions, but we have a lot of living to do if we're healthy with life expectancies being, um, you know, what they, what they are. Do you think it's because people are trained throughout their life that, oh, I've got gray hair, therefore I must be old. I better slow down and do nothing. Absolutely. I mean, it's self-imposed ageism, it's cultural ageism, it's the signals that we get. But I think the boomers are changing everything. You know, once again, the boomers are at it again, redefining, because they're saying, wait a minute, this script that you're giving me isn't like matching up with, you know, how I want to live my life. And so, you know, we look at the role models of, of celebrities around us who are, you know, someone like Jennifer Lopez or Sting or... You know, Mick Jagger is still running around the country doing uh, <laughs> right? So yes, yes. you know, we're saying I don't want. Yeah, I don't. I'm gonna. I don't want to follow that script. You know, I wanna. I wanna go learn to ski at 65. I wanna go run a marathon. I wanna. You know, one of the biggest uh, growth areas of entrepreneurial uh, startups is people 55 to 64. You know, I want to start a business. I want to turn my my hobby and passion into a business. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to school, you know, stuff like this. So I think it's going to be a whole new script that's going to be written. Well, you were right about what you talked about with, with COVID and the lockdown and stuff like that. It changed so many people. It was, it was in September of last year that, that I needed to be with people so bad because I'm a part of a movie promotions company as well as in radio. And, and, I, and where were the people at? And my wife goes, they're at the grocery store. So I went and got a job at the grocery store. My God, I love being with people. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Very good. I think you got people, you know, we all have to assess what is it that we want. You know, I like to say 
Let's forget the word midlife crisis and let's talk about midlife awakening. Yeah. Let's forget retire and talk about refire. You know, let's forget talking about getting older and let's talk about living longer. You know, let's start changing the words and the language because that also helps build the confidence to, for people to say, hey, you know, I mean, me, personally, I, I, you know, I went back to school in my 60s and got a, got a master's degree. And I'm sitting there, you know, with, with people half my age, but absolutely loving it because I'm, <laughs> I'm a lifelong learner and I want to learn new things. So you don't have to go back to get a degree, but, you know, keep focusing on the things that are going to give you, you know, the energy to learn something new and, and move forward. So that's what the book's all about. Do you think one of the key tools that we need to do is make the appointment? In other words, and what I do is I, I'll put things on, on my Google calendar. I'll say, this is what you're doing at this time. And, and it could be a walk with my wife. It could, it could be traveling someplace in the city and stuff like that. But I put it on the calendar so nothing can get in the way. You know, one of the things that I, I like to say, and I, I get in trouble with my friends, because, you know, somebody will say, well, I want to write a book. And I'm like, well, okay, you've been talking about that for five years. Like, why aren't you writing the book? <laughs> or write the book or, start, you know, or stop talking about it, right? So, you know, one of the practical ideas is make that appointment. So if you're going to, if you want to write a book, you know, every, every Monday and Wednesday at 7 a.m. or whatever it is, put it on your calendar. You're going to sit in front of that laptop and you're going to start writing that book for two hours a day or whatever it is. And you may find that in the end, you really don't want to write that book. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But you may also find that this discipline and this rhythm is giving you that the right kind of process to write the book. So yeah, lock it into your schedule and treat it that way. I, I'm, I'm a marathon runner, so yeah. I map out my runs every week. You know, I'm going to run at 5 o'clock this day. I'm going to run at 8 o'clock that day. And I put it in like an appointment. And so that keeps us keeps us focused on getting getting stuff done. Do you think because of the lockdown that we, we built up a relationship with those moments that we once labeled boring? And it's not really boring. It's really actually room in our hearts. Uh, relationships with people, you mean? With people, with, with, with yourself mainly. I'm, I'm one of those people that if, if you're not oh, motivating yeah. yourself, you're not motivating anybody. Yeah. No, I think that's so true. I think we learn to, you know, some people have a fear of, you know, being alone or being with themselves or being with their thoughts. And I think that, you know, COVID really, you know, forced us to think not just for ourselves, but who were you hunkering down with? Was it family? Was it friends? Was it a pod? Was it a combination of people? You really got to assess yourself, but also the people who were important to you, or maybe not as important as you thought, but the amount of time that we all had to think about who we are and where we wanted to go, I think was, you know, a precious gift that is probably, you know, let's call it the silver lining of what was a very difficult period. And so if we're able to develop our thoughts, you know, one of the things we can do is now act on those. And the book Roar is really was designed to bring inspiration to people mm-hmm. for those who, who've already done it. And so I think you're going to see a lot of people make a lot of change over the next year or so. And you're a leader in, in helping us make that happen, dude. you got to come back to this show anytime in the future, Michael. The door is always going to be open for you. Thank you so much. It was really great to be with you. Will you be brilliant today, okay? Okay, Earl. Thanks.